following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Colossians, 
this morning. Look at verse 1. Paul, he's our author, an apostle of Christ Jesus, writes to the church of Colossae by the will of God with one of his friends, Timothy, who's a brother in the Lord. He writes to the saints, the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, and as Paul says so frequently, so often, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now I understand that many of you have been in the church for a long time, but some of us just got here, so we need to catch up, all right? And if you would, look first and foremost at the foundation of the letter, first of all, the author, which is Paul. Circle the word Paul there, the Greek word Paul is also the Greek of the Hebrew name Saul. So Paul has two names. Some people think that when Paul came to know Jesus, his name was changed. And while that's true to a certain extent, he used both of these names to be influential amongst Greeks and Hebrews. Paul in Acts 13, we learn, is from the tribe of Benjamin. He's born in Tarsus, and he's raised as a strict Pharisee. You know what that means? Paul's a smart kid. His parents realized at a young age that he memorized things extremely well, that he was one who just got it fast, and so they put him in the Jerusalem education system, specifically under a teacher, a Pharisee, named Gamaliel, who a lot of people mispronounce his name. We're just going to call him Prof. G. Paul's parents are raising Paul as Roman citizens who are person who are passionate about pushing against this church that is manifesting right before their very eyes. And it would make sense because Paul is a Pharisee. He is a Pharisee above all Pharisees, which means he probably had all of the Old Testament memorized by heart. Furthermore, he probably spoke at least three to five languages and knew the law like the back of his hand. And when these people came in and they said, we get the same thing that you get, in other words, we get the same grace that you get, Paul was not happy about it because Paul worked hard to get to his status, and these people didn't. He hated Christians so much that he persecutes the church. He kills Christians like taking candy from a candy jar. And here he realizes that there is a problem when a risen Christ takes him on this road to Damascus. And this risen Christ looks at Paul face to face and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And when the risen Christ meets you face to face, you don't know what to say. And Paul doesn't know what to say. Furthermore, he doesn't know what to see because the Lord strikes him blind. And he says, I want you to be my man. I want you to be my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings before the people of Israel. And right there, Paul confesses that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he's off to the races. The man who persecutes the church is now populating the church, and for good reason. This author of over ten books in the New Testament connects for the people the Old Testament promises to the New Testament truths. This is truly the Christ, the Messiah. Now, Paul is writing, if you look, keep going in the verse, with a brother. His name is Timothy. And Timothy grew up in Lystra, which is a Galatia province, which is where we get the book of Galatians. 
And when Paul visits this province on his first missionary journey, in Acts 14, he leaves young Timothy to the same saving grace that he received on the road to Damascus. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we realize that Paul and Timothy are really, really good friends because of the gospel. And we also need good friends because of the gospel. So Timothy goes and travels with Paul. He's going to be his assistant and his ambassador. He's the best associate pastor ever. And here, he becomes a leader in the early church, and Paul and Timothy share one thing in common, besides the gospel. They love to go to jail for the gospel. And then right, look at this, to verse 2, to the church at Colossae. Now, they write to the church of Colossae, who is saints. Not saints that have been elevated like the Catholic church, saints that are set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he calls you a saint. Sainthood is a fallacy that is completely looked at in the wrong way in our society, specifically in Roman Catholicism. Saints, it says in the New Testament, are those who are set apart for a specific purpose to share their faith and build up the church. In the New Testament church, these saints gather together because of the gospel that they have received. Now, Colossae is a lot like Bremen and Ebony and a little bit of Lakeville. Uh, maybe more wise, actually. It's an agricultural town that's located in modern-day Turkey, about 110 miles from Ephesus, which is where we get the book of Ephesians. So you see the connection between going and eating popcorn, right? All of these little churches are connected. And Paul writes, and it's believed that there was a massive earthquake that completely ruined the city. And he addresses, if you go to chapter 2, verse 8, a certain philosophy that was threatening these faithful believers. In other words, there's all these influences that are coming in, and either people are going too far over to uh, what we call uh, the right, where they're uber-conservative, or they're going too left, where they're way too liberal with some of their beliefs. There was no balance for these believers. And these believers, Paul says, you need to refuse to uh, observe or participate in these Jewish food and drink restrictions in these festivals, and we'll get to that when we preach chapter 2. Long story short, believers are being badgered for their faith by Jews who take offense over this free grace. This grace, grace, God's grace. And Paul is writing to the church of Colossae, and he's saying, listen, I want to confirm your faith. I want to build you up. But also, I want you to Watch over and watch out for each other. So the purpose of, Colossi of Colossians is twofold. One, so people would understand what glorious gift they have in relationship with God through faith in Christ. But number two, he says, so that you would watch out for each other and make sure that you're building up one another as you see the day approaching. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 says that they would live above reproach. Grace and peace is the last thing in verse 2 that Paul gives, standard greeting. Grace, if you want to circle that, is God's undeserved favor. The fact that he shows loving kindness to sinners, offering us salvation and giving us strength to live life. Paul's writing like a concerned pastor. He's like, I want you to hear this in a graceful way. I want you to hear this in a way that really just penetrates into your heart so that you will have peace. Circle the word peace. It's what Christ made between sinners by God through the cross, producing confidence and contentment in a relationship with Him through faith and trust. You cannot have a relationship with God 
unless you have put your faith and trust in Christ. So Paul wants believers in Colossae, it extends all the way to us today, to experience grace and peace in daily life, regardless of the problems that you, that you have. Okay, so that's the first two verses. We good? It's a lot, right? Some of Peter said some of Paul's words are hard to understand. And who say amen? All right, verse 3. We always thank God, Timothy and I, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints. Because of the hope that was laid up for you in heaven, of this we heard before in the word of truth, which is the gospel. Verse 6. Which has come to you, and indeed, the whole world, it bears fruit. And it's growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Ephesus, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul, pause here for a second, is essentially going to help us change our life. Because of all these influences and all the things that are happening and transpiring in Colossae, Paul wants to radically transform the believer's life so that they're focused and pointed in the right direction and they stop fighting the Lord and they start finding fulfillment in their relationship with Him. The first way that Paul does that in regards to changing their life is that they need to be thankful for being rescued and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Church, hear me out. First thing we need is an attitude of gratitude based off the fact that God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come down to this world to die on the cross for our sins. We find ourselves so flippant and complacent in our relationship with Christ that we forget the magnitude of the cross. And it is here that Paul points the people before anything else to be thankful for being rescued. To give thanks. Look what he says in verse 3. To the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is good in all things. When Paul prayed, he wanted to make sure God always got the glory. Is that true with your life? And everything that you think, say, and do. Do you want God to get all the praise and glory, or would you like some accolades to yourself? Paul, in his whole ministry, was always pointing back to the gospel and that God was good in good times and bad. Now, he's also thankful because he's heard a good report from this man named Ephesus. And we're just going to put a pin in that. We'll get there later in just a second. But the Colossian believers are growing in their faith because they're loving God well and they're loving their brothers and sisters well. Now let's look at these three components of thanks that will change your life. In other words, we're going to start to kind of unpack what it looks like for us to be thankful for the Lord of being rescued. Stop fighting. Start finding fulfillment. The first thing is in verse 4. That you would be thankful for faith, love, and hope. Faith is looking upward to God. Love is looking around to others. And hope is looking forward to the future. Paul is thankful for all of these three things. And he has a commonality with all of the saints. Now let's break those down one more time. Okay? Faith, if you circle that, is looking upward to God for his past work in sending Christ. For God so loved the world, he is only begotten Son, 
Whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting and eternal life. Faith looks upward to God. It is what we trust in. Faith is, uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So the gift of faith, Paul knew, and all other believers knew, he had to have, and he was thankful for it. Now let me just ask you a question. We're going to take an evaluation here as we build up our attitude of gratitude. Are you thankful for faith, or do you take it for granted? Are you thankful that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him, put your name there, would have everlasting eternal life? Are you thankful for that? Number two, love is looking around to others, as God did in sending Christ. Jesus is the condemnation. He is the salvation. Because God loves us, we as believers love other people. So the relationship with God is both vertical and horizontal. You cannot love Jesus. And let me pause. Let me, let me. You cannot say that you love Jesus and hate the church. To hate the church is to hate Jesus. It's his bride. So we understand in the context of what Paul is saying here is, we not only love the Lord, but we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around, family. This is your family. And sometimes we have to fake it till we make it, right? I love you. If I keep saying it, then you'll come true. <laughs> Are we thankful for the saints? I am so thankful for you as a church. I get up on Sunday mornings and I think to myself, I cannot wait to get here. I cannot wait to fellowship with you. And I am thankful that you are thankful for each other. But it all comes back from the bond that we have because of the Holy Spirit that we have received from Christ. Are we thankful for the saints or do we take it for granted? I think Paul, when he was in prison and chained to one of those Roman soldiers, he was probably thinking, Lord, I would love to have the worst saint in Colossae than a Roman soldier next to me, right? So we see here that Paul is thankful for the fellowship. Faith, love, hope is looking forward to the future. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Hope does not disappoint us because it is where our confidence lies. Believers have a confident expectation of Christ's return. He is called in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, our blessed hope. Without Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, the believers have no hope for the future. I was trying to explain this to my daughter the other day, and I looked at her and I said, do you see this door on the studio? And she said, yes. Yeah. How many hinges does it have? She said, three. I said, that is exactly what we believe in faith because of the love of God, it is our hope, the death, the resurrection, and ascension. The door of Christianity swings on all three of those hinges. And so the third question is, are we thankful that we have a blessed hope, or do we take that for granted? If we're in Christ, we must go about each day with this attitude of gratitude, this thankfulness. We look upward in faith, around in love, and forward in hope. And what happens when we do that? Look at verse 5. The gospel is spread all around the world, and we're thankful for that. This is how our life starts to change. Paul says that the gospel, which is the word of truth, didn't come just to Colossae, but it expanded to the entire world. Galatians and Ephesians and those regions. Like a tree that grew and bore fruit, that's what the gospel did. 
Every time the gospel was shared, lost people came to know Christ, to know God through a relationship with Christ, and they produced fruit. Here's where the rubber meets the road. So oftentimes, the believers in our life, we want the victories that they get. So oftentimes, we want what our brothers and sisters have. And Paul says, if your brothers and sisters are growing in a relationship with Jesus, you should praise the Lord. You all are going in the same direction. You're on the same team. Colossae was full of heresies. There's people who are preaching a different gospel. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 says, which is no gospel at all. And Paul is thankful that believers were sharing their faith, even if they were uneducated. <coughs> You'll learn in some of the other uh, pastoral letters, people were doing it like a wrong way. And they're looking at Paul and they're saying, but they don't have all the wording right. They're not getting it right. He's like, they're babies. What do you expect? They're babbling the gospel. Even babbling the gospel is better than somebody who knows back and forth and keeps it quiet. It's believed that Ephraim, so let's go back to this guy. Who's that? He may have had a hand in founding the church. There's a lot of people who believe he's the pastor of the church. So, Ephraim is kind of excited that Paul is kind of uh, saying his praises, for lack of a better word, in pastor way. It's clear that he was thankful for the gospel that changed his life. Ephesus is really a model to follow. He's sharing his faith, and he's excited about people sharing his faith. And Paul's thankful that his life demonstrates this, um, and he's doing it for the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Are we thankful that God sent his only son? Are we thankful so much that it has led us to share our faith? When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, church, don't miss this. It does two things. Number one, we know what it is, and that is it gives the person who is in front of us the opportunity to accept the same Jesus that we have accepted, right? So we share our faith, we share the gospel that Christ came, died, rose again, and ascended to the right hand of God. We share that with people because it gives them an opportunity to accept what we've accepted. But we always miss the second part. The second part is it affirms your faith. It's like when we look at somebody and we tell somebody, hey, we're married and married life is great and we met my wife. We're constantly affirming, first of all, that married life is great. Second of all, that uh, it, it is great. We need to be reminded of that, right? We have so much negativity in our head, it comes out of our mouth. We have to change what's happening in our head to change what's coming out of our mouth. More importantly, the Bible says you need to change your heart in order to have proper speech and actions. So sometimes we don't share our faith because we're not excited about our faith. Because God's not giving us what we want. And Paul's saying in, in, in Colossae, man, people were sharing their faith for evangelism and edification purposes, and they were finding joy in that. If we're not thankful for the gospel that we have received and our mission for the people who are in our path, then maybe somebody's going to wonder if you really truly received that gift at all. Because people who are passionate about Christ, who accepted Christ, will share the gift. If you gave me a gift, and I love the gift, I'm going to tell people that you gave me the gift. But if you give me a gift and I look at it and I don't like it, then I'm not going to tell anybody about it. We as believers share Christ and it changes our life. Now look at verse 8. I think this is fascinating. We're also thankful for the love in the Spirit that's being manifested. Ephesus told Paul that the church in Colossae had a rich love in the Spirit. Now I think we're in this boat. You are doing fantastic community gospel at this. I really think you are. There is evidence of the Spirit all around us. I was sitting here last week. I can't hear anything because there's a dead spot. 
And so I move back. And I hear you singing. And I hear you fellowshipping with one another and talking to one another. And the Spirit of Christ, the love of the Spirit, is in this place. Amen? Amen. It's a good thing to be in the house of God. And in New Testament history, we learn that the word Christian is translated into saint, like we talked about just a second ago. But its roots suggest something a little bit different. In other words, what I'm saying is, there's something a little bit different about you. Look at the person next to you and say, oh, praise the Lord. Right? Just affirm that there's something a little bit different about you. And that's a good thing. Holy things are different than unholy things. Let me talk to you, church, for a second. The temple was holy because it was different from other buildings. The Sabbath was, was holy because it was different than other days. And Colossi Christians were fundamentally different because of the Holy Spirit. And for that, Paul is thankful. There should be something fundamentally different about you in your daily endeavors. You should look like Jesus. The things of this world should be fading away. It is super frustrating to hear somebody say, I love Jesus, and then foul language comes flying out of their mouth. It's super frustrating to hear people say, I love Jesus, and then gossip about their brother and sister right after they just told me they love Jesus. If we love Jesus, our lives will be changed. The faith that we have, the love that we have, the hope that we have, the thankfulness for the gospel spreading all over, and the love of the Spirit of Christ will be manifested in our everyday life and realize that we cannot go back to being out of Christ when we're in Christ. I'm getting ahead of myself, that's kind of chapter two. Look at the commentator, what he says. He says, this highlights the effective teaching and ministry of Ephesus. Too often, believing teachers fail to communicate the truths of a Christ-centered, spirit-controlled life. And as a result, we end up in a mode where we try to force and browbeat and manipulate people into proper behavior. Here in church. Behavior modification comes when heart transformation occurs. Behavior modification comes when heart transformation occurs. And heart transformation is when we have an attitude of gratitude that has to start there. Somebody who is restored by the blood of the Lamb, who finds themselves in relationship with God through faith in Christ, who is thankful that God rescued and redeemed them from sin, will lead a radically changed life. A lot of people who accepted Jesus as Savior wanted a moralistic, I'm a good person lifestyle, not a radical transformation in their heart. And so here, what's happening and transpiring is there are some tangible ways that I think Paul, if he were here, would say, this is how we keep our heart and life in check and be thankful for the Lord and all that he's done. Let me just give you some really tangible ideas based off of these passages of Scripture. Number one. I think every day you should get up and thank the Lord for another day to live. It should be the first thing out of your mouth in the morning. You wake up, God, thank you for another day to live. Not I'm in pain, not this, this day is going to be horrible. It is God, I thank you for another day to live. Number two, I think you should have a journal, an actual journal, not an electronic journal. Paper and pen, old school, ancient technology. <laughs> and I think in that journal, you should include three things that you are thankful for the Lord in your morning devotions. I think you should open up that journal and you should say, God, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this, and I'm thankful for this. But Pastor Jordan, I do, I've done that, and usually it's the same thing. So what? Let it be the same thing. We have to have this attitude of gratitude. Number three, I think you should pray over every single meal and thank God for your food. It's really simple. 
But man, every time you sit down to eat, you say, God, thank you for this food. How amazing is that? Every time we have a conversation with a believer, we should say, God, I'm so thankful for this person that you've put in my path. Every time we see a non-Christian, we should say, I'm so thankful that you're here so I can tell you about the gospel that I've received. Anyone? We should have this attitude of gratitude. Psalm chapter 107, the psalmist says, I give thanks to the Lord in all things. All right, look at verse 9. And so, because of this gratitude that you have for the gospel that you have received, from the day that we heard about it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Pray for your brothers and sisters. And we are praying these things. We are asking that you may be changed and you may embrace that change that comes from being thankful for the gospel that you have received. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We are asking that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him. We are asking that you would bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. We are asking that you would be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. For the endurance and patience with joy, we ask that you would give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. What Paul's saying here is he's saying, here comes Jesus, He rescues us. Stop fighting Him, embrace Him, and then realize He's pulling you out of the water. Jesus is pulling us out of the water. And when you get pulled out of the water, there's a change that comes. You've got to let some of that water go. And you've got to embrace it a little harder. See, Paul has not ceased to pray for the Colossi believers. And he wants their lives to be changed. Let me look at this just real quick. No, not sure. Wait. Three changes that come from a thankful heart. Number one. A thankful and grateful heart will be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verse 9 and 10. Paul knew that a grateful heart regarding what God had done in salvation, ready for this, would push a person into God's Word. I've heard so many people say, but I'm not a reader. But as a believer, you are now. I've heard so many people say, but I'm not a prayer. But as a believer, you are now. It's amazing how many people don't populate the 9 o'clock hour of prayer, but they populate a Bible study. I like Bible studies. I don't like prayer. Prayer is the fuel, and it is the fire that pushes the believer's life. How many times do you see so many people praying to the Lord in Scripture? So what we have here is Paul's primary prayer for Colossae, where they would be so grateful that they would run to God's Word to be filled with the knowledge of His will. If you would circle the word fill there, it's really interesting. That word fill means filling out to completeness. I would say it's fat, but you can't say fat in church. So not, you can't, can't do that. It's like a properly nourished adult. Let's go that direction. The word knowledge means having a deep understanding or knowing where your nourishment came from. Now let's put those two words together. We know that our own carnal knowledge, which is sin, comes from the flesh. It's not healthy. In other words, anything worldly is like snacking on junk food. It puffs up, is what 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says. But to be fed off God's word nourishes believers completely. It's when you wake up feeling full and refreshed. Furthermore, when you 
comes in God's word, the Holy Spirit gives wisdom and understanding. It's going to be used six times in this letter. So there's all these outside influences, right? There's all these false teachers and things like that, and they're coming, and they're offering, in chapter 2, verse 23, an appearance of wisdom. They're giving junk food. And God's people are tired of eating junk food. Amen? God's people, we're sick of it. We have tasted the world, and we realize that it doesn't do us any good. But then when we go to the Word, we realize that there's wisdom to be found there. Oh, heaven forbid it takes some work to be satisfied in His Word. Augustine said like this. I love this. He says, faith is understanding step. Understanding is faith through Word. Understanding will be the study of Scripture. And I have studied God's Word, and I have realized the rich rewards that are in there. In other words, let me put it to you a different way. You cannot walk. This is Colossians right here, okay? You cannot walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, or bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God without being filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's sort of confused. What are you talking about? It means gratitude leads to growth, and growth leads to God's Word. It means we obtain a mature knowledge of God through the study of His Word. Paul was a biblical scholar. And a grateful believer will bury themselves in their Bible. Through daily, personal Bible study, reading, weekly Bible study, we will constantly be under biblical teaching and preaching. It means that you'll wake up in the morning and you'll want to read God's Word. And even if you don't want to read God's Word, you pray and you ask God, to give you the desire to do His Word. It means that you look at things like BSF and these Bible studies that are happening and transpiring all across our church, and you're like, I need to be in that. That here you're saying, I've got to be underneath the teaching and preaching of the Word. It's not Jordan's opinion. He's preaching God's Word and truth. And it is giving me knowledge of God's will. It's showing me where I can go. It's like a light that is being shown on my path. Now, that's not the only thing He does, because God's Word will change you. <laughs> And when it starts changing you, you realize number two, verse 11, it will be strengthened with power. This is when it gets really interesting being a believer. Gratitude leads to being in God's word, which leads to being strengthened with all power. Look at what the outcome is of what's listed above. This is exactly what you are looking for in your life. You're looking for endurance and patience. It's the two things that every believer needs, right? Especially if you have little kids. Or if your grandparents watch a little bit. You need endurance, which is perseverance. The ability to not easily yield under suffering. And patience, the ability to be gentle and calm with self-restraint, which can only come from God. Can all good people say amen? Anybody give me some of that, Lord? I need it. All, if you pray for patience, it's the one prayer request. God will always grant. I promise this is how we as believers experience God's glory manifested for us in our everyday life. You want to see the glory of God manifested in your everyday life? Start praying for endurance and patience, be strengthened with all power, and be buried in your body. Life will beat you down, but gratitude will build you up because of the gospel you receive. No knowledge, no thankfulness, no strength, no power, no joy. Now look at that third thing. This is amazing. You'll share in the inheritance. It's verse 12 and 13. Four other times in Colossians, Paul pushes believers to be grateful as it is how we share in God's inheritance. 
So many people come to trust Christ, and they say, oh, one day when I'm in heaven, it will be glorious. God and I will dance on gold streets. I don't know where you got that from. But uh, we're at, he's building me a mansion, and it looks like my neighbor's house. I don't know where you got that from, right? And they have all of these misconceptions about what heaven's really like, and in, this, in heaven you'll be in the physical presence of God. Can I repeat that? We're looking at the tangibles as believers instead of realizing that in heaven we're in the physical presence of God. But we forget that on earth the physical or the actual presence of God dwells in his saints. And so that's an inheritance we don't have to wait for. We can experience it now. It's like looking at a college student and saying, hey, would you like to get married now and experience blessings of being married four years after school's over? No way. Like, I want to be married now, right? On that relationship now. Accessing our inheritance as a believer in Christ can be done now. First through salvation and then through sanctification. And sanctification start is in thankfulness of being rescued and embracing the changes that come. If you were given inheritance that completely paid off everything, it would radically change your life. So let me just ask you a couple questions. One, do you live changed because of being rescued? Two, do you know that through Christ you have redemption for the forgiveness of sins? Three, are you filled, strengthened, and sharing in God's inheritance now, or are you waiting until you die? I've had this conversation so many times with so many young people, and I've told them over and over again, I do not want to leap into heaven. I don't want to die on this earth and then leap into heaven and have this be this radical change. I know all of a sudden, like, it's radical change. I just want to step. Only so much like Jesus that just one day I'm like, I'm dead. Jesus is like, hey, how's it going? I'm like, it happened. It happened. And he's like, yeah. And, and I look around and he looks at me and he's like, what do you think? And I'm like, it's not that much different. Because you worked in me and conformed me to your image. We, we, we had this relationship. We didn't have to wait. Look at what it says. It says that he delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us. That, that's not like, like going to transfer us. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. In other words, don't fight the Lord. Let his mercy and grace radically change We change our life when we stop fighting the Lord. By having an attitude of gratitude, conforming to God's word, enabling his power and accessing his inheritance. So the question is, are we living for the Lord now because of the gospel that we have received, or are we waiting? If we're waiting, then either one, we have not accepted the gospel, or two, we're missing out on how life is to be lived in the here and now. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would help us to stop fighting you and help us to realize that there's fulfillment under the gospel. We ask, Lord, that your mercy and your grace would radically change our life. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ 
so that in Him, men and women might have redemption in Christ. If you are here today and have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, it is as simple as God can make Confess your sins, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that His blood covers your sin, and be saved. Enter into the family of God. For those of us who know Christ, we ask that today would be the day, the catalyst moment where we turn from being selfish to being grateful. And that we would be mindful, minute by minute, of the eternal inheritance that is kept for us in heaven. God, help us to trust your word, to live by faith and not by sight, to walk in the spirit, to be buried in the truth of the Bible, to love others with a Christ-like love. And we know that all of this is possible, not by our own efforts, but only by you and you alone. And so it is in Jesus' name that we pray these things and all God's people say. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.